May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our scripture for this morning comes from John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Friends, throughout this summer, we have been reflecting on poems that often set our hearts and imaginations free. We've been invited to wander off in far green fields to listen for and admire the faint beating of the monarch's wings. We've journeyed through seasons of grief and to the mountaintops of hope. And often, for me, poetry, much like fantasy or fiction, it is a vehicle in which I escape some of the hardships of this world. Poems are a kite that I embrace and sail off to for a time to find myself free in perhaps a different way than Wendell Berry was quoting here in this poem. But today, we are exploring how poems can not only serve as a kite, but as an anchor, as something that can keep us tethered, centered, and grounded when all else in life begins to get hectic. Today, we will reflect on poetry and other sacred words of promise as something of a spiritual practice. We're going to get started in a rather odd place, which is an explanation of why I must always keep this digital thermometer in my four-year-old's room. Now, this all started a couple years ago when we began to think about having baby number two. And at that point in time, my wife, Laura, had been doing a lot of the bedtime ritual for, for Avery. It just kind of evolved that way from the time she was young and breastfeeding, and we never kind of got back to a balanced place where Daddy was doing as much of story time and bedtime, mostly because Avery did not want to change. <laughs> but we knew that change we must because if we were able to have baby number two, our lives would surely be changing. And so we experimented and played around with how to, to get into a new ritual where Avery would have a little time with Laura downstairs, maybe read a book, and then Daddy would carry her upstairs, which is very important. Mama can't be seen walking away. We have to carry Avery upstairs <laughs> so that we can share in brushing our teeth and books and the whole bedtime ritual. Now, that did not go down smoothly, so eventually what we came up with is the ritual that we still have today nearly two years later, which is 
Whatever silly or fun things we did that day, we would act out while going up the stairs. So if we went to the zoo and saw a giraffe, I will carry Avery up the stairs like she's a giraffe. And we just make up what that looks like. <laughs> if we had a, I don't know, a big bowl of soup with our dinner, then I would carry up Avery like a bowl of soup and she would curl into a ball and spill over the sides. It's a new thing every day, frankly, and it was a very adorable ritual, very fun and silly when she was two and going on three and weighed about 15 or 20 pounds less than she currently does today. Now we are getting to the point where it's frankly becoming a lot of work and I find myself huffing and puffing as I get to the top of our stairs. Muscles in, the ar in my arms and my back are burning and sometimes I feel like I'm about to break out in a sweat. But it works. It's a silly ritual but it still works every time. Now in addition to this, I should also add that Laura and I are trying to be mindful with our own bodies and our own bedtime rituals, so usually every night when Laura and Avery are setting, settling down for a moment, I make a nice hot mug of tea for both of us. And since I'm going to be carrying the toddler up for bedtime in a moment, I chug mine down very quickly. Which means that I've got a whole hot mug of tea in my body even before I grab onto that large, wriggling four-year-old and have to make up an imaginative play game while going up the stairs. And by the time we finish brushing our teeth, which is currently a rather acrobatic ritual itself, and we make it to her room, I feel like I've just stepped out of a sauna. Now, I like to think that I'm a, a pretty smart guy, and, and, and I know intellectually in this moment, when I walk into Avery's room with her for our three books, I know that it's not 90 degrees in her bedroom, and yet I am convinced in my body that it is way too hot in that room for her to sleep, and that I should probably go downstairs to turn on the AC because this is just untenable. That, friends, that <laughs> is when I look over to this digital thermometer to check and confirm that, oh, yeah, no, it's like 73 degrees in here. It's completely fine. And I do that every single night because despite the fact that I know better, I need something to ground my biased body. I know that things are okay, and yet I feel differently because of the circumstances that are evolving around me. It's a bit of a silly personal anecdote, but you could probably already see where we're heading. When things get heated, quite literally in this case, sure, when things get heated, sometimes we need something to check in with to make sure that we are not overreacting or misinterpreting things in the heat of the moment. Life is hard and heated and stressful. We are all prone to navigating seasons and situations that are rife with difficulty and anxiety, and sometimes when we find ourselves in the midst of those stressors, we might forget or disconnect from what we otherwise know to be true. I'm not just talking about the temperature of the room. I'm talking about things like 
I am loved, or I matter, or they are loved and matter too, or the fact that we all make mistakes, that none of us are perfect, and that we can get through hard things. We've done them before and often together. These are all simple beliefs, beliefs that we teach our children and our grandchildren on a regular basis, beliefs that we read about in little children's books, and yet they are beliefs that can easily get lost for the most wise adults along the way when we ourselves are feeling lost or alone or anxious or confused. We begin to lose sight of who we are and whose we are, and suddenly all of those sacred promises that we nurture here in a place like the church, all of those promises of grace and love and worthiness, they can dissolve into those hot flushed feelings of shame or inadequacy or that pit in your stomach type of fear. We've all been there. Sadly, some of us remain there for seasons of our lives. And it is in those moments that we need something to ground us and remind us of what we otherwise know to be true. We need a little digital thermometer, only not something so finicky and cheap, but something that is deep and reliable that we can check in with when we know that we are prone to misremembering. Now, there was a period in my adult life, a period before my coming here to St. Luke, when I found myself newly prone to such waves of anxiety and shame. I won't go into the details of what was behind this shift in my baseline, but it was the first time in my life, really, and certainly in my adult life, that I found myself feeling anxious on a fairly regular basis. It was new to me and incredibly difficult. And while I probably kept up a pretty cool face on the outside, on the inside, I was really struggling, feeling stuck and overwhelmed, and from there, anxious and unsure, and I was losing sight of who I am. Around that time, thankfully, blessedly, I had been in ministry for, I don't know, five, six, seven years, and I was invited to what in the Presbyterian and, and Episcopalian churches is known as a Credo Conference. It's a chance for a week and a half long Sabbath of sorts to get away and reflect in an intentional environment to focus on vocational well-being, physical well-being, emotional well-being, and financial well-being. Basically, it was a wellness retreat that came into my life in a time when I needed it most. And throughout the week, we were charged with creating a sacred mission statement or a sacred reminder that we could take with us back to wherever we're having, heading so that we will remember 
some of the practices and promises of wellness that we made that week. I want to share with you what I wrote and what became my personal mantra for the next number of years in my life. What I wrote was this. It was three things. First is remember who you are. The second was return to joy. And the third was dare to see yourself as whole. Those three simple lines, they became my own personal mantra and poem. Remember who you are. Return to joy. Dare to see yourself as whole. You see, I was, for the first time in my life, in the midst of this place of anxiety, I was losing sight of who I was, trying to please others, trying to live up to expectations, maybe that I was putting on myself. It doesn't matter. But I was struggling to be grounded in my sense of being, and I was chasing after something I'm not even sure I knew what. But I was having a hard time beginning each day as Brennan and not as what everyone around it round was looking for from me. And I began to lose sight of myself. And so that first phrase, remember who you are, in many ways was a calling back to the self. Much like some people would say, check in on your breathing. Or take a moment to center yourself in prayer. That next line, return to joy. You know, around the same time, much like many people in this congregation, I was deeply interested in issues of justice and equity, and I found myself chasing after every single cause of the day. And this was around, I think sometime around this time, there was an election in 2016, there was a big cultural change, I don't recall what exactly happened, I'm not getting into politics from the pulpit, but life became very tough. And if you were interested in pursuing causes of justice, there was always more to be done. And so I chased and I pursued again and again and again, and everything seemed suddenly so serious, because of course it was. And things often felt infuriating, because of course they were. And in giving myself over to that passion in some ways, I gave a little too far and began to lose my own joy and happiness. A kind of spark of fun that actually makes me a better pastor in person, a better community organizer. Because joy and love is an important part of community organizing and advocacy and justice work. So return to joy was a reminder that when I am smiling or singing, I'm actually inviting more people in to the work that we're sharing. Finally, that third mantra, dare to see yourself as whole, was an important reminder for me that while I am not perfect and will never be, 
I am also still loved for exactly who I am. That is true whether or not I may live up to others' expectations. That is true whether or not I come from a home that was rife with alcoholism. That is true whether or not I am achieving the things I want to achieve in my life. We are each challenged to believe as people of faith that we are already loved and worthy just for who we are. For myself, that was hard to see, and so I wanted to dare myself to see myself as whole, as if to say, find the courage to believe that that could possibly be true, that you too could possibly be worthy of being whole just for who you are. Remember who you are. Return to joy. Dare to see yourself as whole. These words became my digital thermometer, guiding me and grounding me in a time in my life when I felt anxious and lost. And so when I felt a wave of anxiety or other feelings coming up, I would repeat those words. And they would help center me. In some cases, they would help transport me back to that wellness retreat where I had rediscovered some peace and some sense of self. They were my anchor in a time when I found myself quickly being thrown down a stream that I was worried I might not be able to recover from. And so I held those words carefully. I held them until I remembered them. I remembered them until I believed them, not just in my head, but in my very bones. As we heard in The Journey by David White, sometimes everything has to be inscribed across the heavens so that you can find the one line already written inside of you. Today I share this, not because my words that were my anchor are important for you, though maybe they may resonate with you. I share them, though, because I think it is important for each of us to find what is our anchor. And the great thing about a mantra, a prayer, a poem, is that we don't have to remember to put it in our backpack to bring with us so that we can hold it up during a sermon. We can keep them in our minds, in our hearts, and eventually in our bodies so that we can return to them when we are feeling lost and overwhelmed. I know for Mike, Poetry is a deep personal centering practice and maybe even a spiritual practice for you, Mike. It's something that you and I discussed when we took a walk a number of years back. I think it was a time just after Avery was born because I, in fact, remember deciding to memorize The Peace of the Wild Things by Wendell Berry, which you read earlier, because it was one that you have memorized and often found yourselves reciting. 
And when I found myself facing a new challenge in life with our firstborn who really struggled to sleep at night and would wake up every 30 minutes to an hour for a long season there, I've shared it before here. I think I've cried from the pulpit here before talking about how hard it was. When she woke up crying, and we'd get her back down, when I laid myself back down to sleep at night, for a while there, I recited that poem, the peace of the wild things, who do not tax their minds with the four thoughts of grief, or with the forethought of a baby who may be waking up 30 or 45 minutes from now. Because I needed a reminder to let go and to practice some acceptance. And so for a new season, those were my new words that carried me through that time. Which brings me to this closing thought for us. Friends, we are all navigating a fairly new and perhaps still emerging season of life. Because in many ways, we always are. Some of us are new parents. Some of us are new grandparents here. There are others that are just returning to the workforce. There are some who have just retired. There are some here who are newly caregivers for someone they love dear. There are others who are finding themselves in need of care for the first time in their lives and are struggling with how to accept it when they've been the strong one for so long. Amidst all of this is the turmoil of politics in a massive global pandemic and the great reemergence and shakeup in, in the workplace for everybody. We are navigating so many changes in our lives, in our rituals, in our minds, in our bodies, that it can be easy to lose our way and lose sight of some of our dearest values or beliefs. And so this day, as we hear another beautiful poem from Mike here in a moment, I invite you to consider if there's some type of reference in your life that you can come back to. Maybe it's a poem or a mantra Maybe it's a simple prayer. Maybe it's as easy as finding your breath. As wonderful as it is to have words that set our imagination aflight and transport us far away, we also need those words that can anchor us, that can ground us, and importantly, that we can check in with when we are otherwise overwhelmed. We have a couple weeks left of this poetry series, and I encourage you, as we all get ready to head into the fall, to think about what is a truth, a promise, a reminder that you would like to hold on to and take with you. As you each reflect on that, I'd like to welcome up Mike one more time to share another poem.
Thank you, Brennan. It just reminds me again of, of um, all these lessons for me in my life that um, need to be learned again and again. I guess that's what practice is, right? And um, Brennan asked me if I would say something about um, my use of poetry weeks ago. I said, no, I don't think I'll do that. <laughs> but uh, it just reminded me, um, uh, your talk on, on this mantra, how uh, poetry and lines in poetry became that for me um, kind of by accident. It was in my adult life that I decided it might be a good idea to recite poetry because I had never done that. I remembered my um, college friends who went to good high schools who knew poetry, and I never had that. So I started to memorize poetry, and, and um, I would do that memorization work when I was on a walk or a run. And um, it so happened, whatever the poem was, you know, you would, you would recite it uh, over and over again, and I noticed that when I did that, I started to hear it differently. And not only that, if I was running, because of the pace of, of my running and, and my need to breathe, um, the cadence of the poem started to slow down. And it would slow, and, and I heard it differently. And sometimes I would hear the lines differently, or the word differently depending on the day. And sometimes I would recite poetry because I was thinking of somebody who needed it. And slowly I noticed that those lines became meditative and almost like a prayer. And it's interesting, when you run or walk and recite poetry, it sounds different. And um, so, um, thank you, Brennan, uh, for that, and uh, I think there are some lessons in this next poem, Behind the Thunder, by Mark Nepo. I keep looking for one more teacher. I keep looking for one more teacher, only to find that fish learn from water, and birds learn from sky. If you want to learn about the sea, it helps to be at sea. If you want to learn about compassion, it helps to be in love. If you want to learn about healing, it helps to know of suffering. The strong live in the storm without worshiping the storm. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube or by following the worship links on our website, St. Luke.
www.mnmn.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.